I hope that you've been as encouraged as I have by God's Word this month as we've thought about our prayer life, as we've thought about improving our prayers. But let me, let me just say this before we get into this morning's lesson. A danger, I think, of talking about praying better would be that sometimes when we think about our Christianity and we think about our walk with the Lord, sometimes when we listen to a lesson or when we get into the Bible and we say, you know what, I should be doing things this way and I've been doing things that way, sometimes we start to think, well, maybe if I improve and I get better and I do things more biblically, well, then maybe that way my prayers will be acceptable to God. Or maybe I'm afraid my prayers won't be acceptable to God because I haven't been or I'm not praying like I feel like I should or maybe even like the Bible shows me that I should. Listen, we are not trying to improve our prayers so that our prayers will be acceptable to God. We are not trying to improve our prayers so that we can impress God with our prayers and say, God, listen, here's a really, really good prayer. I hope you like it. I hope you listen to it. I hope you accept it. Our prayers are listened to by God. Our prayers are accepted by God. Our prayers are heard by God, not because our prayers are perfect or even because our prayers are good, but because we are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus, through his death and his burial and his resurrection, has reconciled us to God. And we that are in Christ Jesus, that have clothed ourselves with Christ, we are reconciled to God and He hears us and listens to us and answers us because of Jesus. And so why then, if we're accepted by God in Christ, if our prayers are heard by God because of Christ, then why try to improve them? It's so that we can improve our relationship that he's given us, right? He's given us a a tremendous relationship with God. And the more we learn about God and the more we learn to foster that relationship, the better our relationship will be. And so that's why we've been talking about transforming our prayers so that our entire lives are transformed. Not so that we can impress God, not so that we can be acceptable to God, but because we already are accepted by God, we want to make this relationship with Him everything that it should be and that it can be. And so let's review real quick. I'm not going to do a pop quiz. Don't worry. That did not, that did not work well last week. I know. I know. I know. You don't even have to tell me. But let's review, okay? We talked about prayers of adoration, right? That prayers of adoration change our perspective about everything, right? When we put God in His proper place in our mind, and we see Him for who He is, I, I like to use the metaphor, I know it's silly, but it sticks in my head, you know, the moon, it, it's huge, right? I mean, I don't know how big the moon is, but if you're standing there and you've got your thumb right in front of your eyeball, you could say, hey, my thumb is bigger than the moon, right? I mean, my thumb is so big, it covers up that entire moon. Well, no, it doesn't. Your thumb isn't as big as the moon. It, it's just that it's right in your face, right? It's because your perspective is off. And when you see God for who He is, then you realize that God is so much bigger than your problems. But sometimes when your problems are right there in your face, 
they feel like they're bigger than God. Prayers of adoration puts everything in proper perspective. Then we talked about prayers of confession, that they happen when we are convinced of God's grace. We confess our sins because we know God is a gracious God. When we are convicted of our guilt and when we're committed to change. And we talked about prayers of thanksgiving, that prayers of thanksgiving are congratulations to God on his victories. I don't know about you, but that really, that one was the, the lesson this month that really has stuck in my head. And to think about David's words in the Psalms. And I've been, I've been praying that way. I don't know if you have or not. I hope that you have. But, but even things like thanking God for my food, I, I've been saying, literally saying, congratulations, God on feeding your people another day. Because this victory is yours. And and this reflects well on your glory and your providence because you fed your people for another day. So prayers of thanksgiving are congratulations to God on his victory. And then last week we talked about prayers of intercession and that that's about realizing everyone, everyone, everyone needs someone praying for them. Everyone needs someone praying for them. And today we're going to talk about prayers of supplication or asking God for stuff, asking God for things. Now, as we've gone through these lessons, I've said kind of as a side note several times, we we need to expand our prayers beyond just asking God for stuff, right? I mean, we have a tendency to ask God for things, asking God for this and asking God for that and praying when we need this and praying when we need that. But I've tried to make a point that that doesn't mean just because we should go beyond asking doesn't mean that we should stop asking. In fact, I think that if we realize who God is and what prayer is all about, well, then we won't just ask, we won't ask God for less, we'll ask God for more. We'll ask God about the little things and depend on God for everything. Think about things like cancer and disease, hurricanes, wildfires, earthquakes, tsunamis, automobile accidents, mental health disorders. You know, we can, we can look at all of those things with medical science or natural sciences the, the meteorologist can tell us why these things happen, right? And we can look at them very scientifically and we say, well, these things happen because of this and these things happen because of that and this is just a natural consequence of this or that or the other. But when they happen to you, when they happen to me, when they happen to us, we take it personally, don't we? We don't just ask, why does this happen scientifically? I don't care about that, Right? When I go to the doctor and I get a bad report, I don't care about genetics and I don't care about airborne diseases. I don't care about any of those things. I want to know why is this happening to me? When this happens to somebody that I love, I want to know why is this happening to them? Why? And then we start to wonder, does God hear me? Is God listening to me? When I ask God to help me with this problem or this situation, does he hear? Is he angry with me? Is he punishing me for something? Perhaps there's a little accusing voice in our mind that says, Wes, this is your fault. This is because of that thing that you did. 
Perhaps, and I hope not, but I hope we don't have friends that are like Job's friends. You remember Job's friends? That's exactly the kind of friends that he had in his life. When he had horrible things that happened to him and he was sitting with his friends and he was mourning and grieving over the loss of his children, over his physical health decline, over the loss of everything that he had. And his friends said, this is your fault. God is punishing you for something. Chances are we don't have friends like that. I hope we don't have friends like that. But we have a voice in our head like that, don't we? That sometimes tells us, this is your fault. You're suffering because of what you've done. God is angry with you. God is punishing you. This is on you. And so sometimes we wonder about prayer. Should I? Is it worth it? Is he listening? Will he answer? What will come of my prayers? And what I think is one of the most remarkable things about the Bible is that by no means does it validate that fear and says, well, all of your suffering is your fault. You brought this upon yourself. God isn't listening to you. God's mad at you and punishing you. It doesn't validate that, okay? But it does sympathize with that. God knows that that's how we feel. God knows that that's, that's the, the voice that's echoing in our mind. And I think that if we allow Scripture, again, as we've said all month, to shape our prayers, then we will learn to get through those moments and come out on the other side with a faith and a prayer life and a love for God stronger than it was before. I want you to think about something. And I I just thought about this this morning and I thought, I don't know if I should ask this or not, but I'm going to anyway. That's usually not a good idea, but I'm going to anyway. If you knew that your strongest relationship with God that you've ever had in your whole life was on the other side of suffering, would you be willing to go through it? If you knew that on the other side of the worst suffering you've ever been through was the best relationship you've ever had with God, would you be willing to walk through it? Because what I've learned from walking with other people through horrible circumstances and painful circumstances, those that are willing to walk with God through the valley of the shadow of death, that on the other side is the best relationship with God that they've ever had. In fact, I'm looking out across this auditorium this morning and I see people that I've known and I've seen go through those valleys And I've heard them say that on the other side was their best relationship with God. And so this is why we have to learn to pray this way. Maybe you're in a moment like that. Maybe you've been in a moment like this. But I guarantee all of us at some point in our life will go through the worst suffering, the worst pain, the worst tragedy that we've ever been through. And if we're willing to walk through it with God, if we're willing to ask God, if we're willing to depend on God, if we're willing to beg God, if we're willing to trust God, then on the other side, very well might be the best relationship with God that we've ever experienced. Let's look at the text. Psalm chapter 6. Psalm chapter 6, verse 1. Now we're told a psalm of David... 
And he says this, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Is he suffering? Yeah. In a minute, he'll tell us that his couch is soaked, is drenched by his weeping. Every night he floods his bed with tears. And he says, be gracious to me. I'm languishing. Heal me, O Lord. My bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. How long? How long? How long? Turn, O Lord. Deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, that is the place of the dead. The, the Greek word that we might be more familiar with is Hades. In Sheol, who will give you praise? Now, Here's a couple things that I noticed about David's prayer is that David is convinced both of God's graciousness and that God is in charge. David is convinced that God is both in charge and gracious. And sometimes we struggle with one or both of those, don't we? And we say, well, Is this something that God can handle? Is God really in charge? Can God deal with this? Can God help me? Is He really in charge? And if He is, is He willing? Is He gracious? Is He kind? David has absolute, complete confidence that God is both in charge and gracious. And I realize that sometimes that feels like a tension. And we think, how can God be both? And wasn't that Job's situation? How can God be both? How can God be both in charge and gracious? And here's the secret. We don't know the secret. Here's what we don't know. A bunch of stuff. And isn't that what God said when He showed up? Job constantly said, I wish God was right here so I could talk to him and I could test him and I could ask him why. And God shows up and basically God's answer is, you wouldn't understand if I told you. There is so much that is beyond us and that we don't know and that we don't understand. But these two things David knew. And I'm convinced we need to know and we need to be convinced of no matter what we're going through, no matter how bad it hurts, no matter how long it lasts, we need to be convinced of these two things. God is in charge and God is gracious. He is the only one to whom we can turn. Even when we don't understand, even when we're confused, go to God and talk to Him and beg Him, Rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord. And look at these words. For I am languishing, and for my bones are troubled. And then in verse 4, for the sake of your steadfast love, and for in death there is no remembrance of you. So, David gives, gives three reasons why, or in other words, the basis of his prayer. Now that's an interesting thought, because sometimes I don't know that we base our prayer on anything in our mind and our heart, do we? When we pray to God and we say, God, help me with this. This hurts. 
This is uncomfortable. I don't like this. This is bad. I shouldn't have to go through with this. I shouldn't have this in my life. Why? Why? Why should I help you? Why should I save you? Why should I heal you? On what basis? I think it's healthy for us. For us to express in prayer, here's what I need and here's why I believe that you care. Here's why I believe that you will help me. What is the basis of our prayers? And, and, and the psalmist here, David says three things. One, I'm languishing and my bones are troubled. Two, for the sake of your steadfast love. Three, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In other words, if I die and, and I go to Sheol and, and keep in mind that we know more because of the gospel and more has been revealed than the psalmist knew. But he says, if I'm not here on the earth to praise you, you're going to lose my praise. You wouldn't want to lose my praise. My praise is good. I love you and I adore you and I sing your praises. And if I'm gone, I'm not going to be there to do that anymore. It seems to me that the basis of David's prayer is his relationship with God, isn't it? He says, here's why you should heal me. Here's why you should do this for me. Because I'm suffering and I know that my suffering touches your heart. Wow. What an, what an amazing confidence that is to know. I'm suffering and God, because I know you and I know how much you love me, I know that my suffering touches your heart. I know that when I'm languishing, it pains you. I know that you want to do this for me because I know that my suffering touches your heart. That's something that we need to be convinced of, convicted of, confident of when we pray to God. And again, church, we have so much more reason to be confident of that than even the psalmists did because of what we know in Jesus. When you're suffering, God knows. God cares. Jesus, God in the flesh, says, listen, even if a sparrow falls to the ground, God knows about it. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows how bad your chemo hurts. He knows about your cancer. He knows about your languishing. He knows about your grief. He knows about your pain. He knows about your aches. He knows and He cares. And that is the basis of our prayer. I'm hurting, and I know, because of our relationship, God, that You care about my hurting. Two, He says, Your love is steadfast. Your love is faithful. I, I'm basing my prayer on my knowledge of Your steadfast love. I know that's the kind of God You are. And three, I know what my praise means to you. I know what my praise means to you. On the basis of my praise, I ask you to do this for me. Not because my praise is so good and I've earned a place in your spot. No, but because we have a relationship. And I know that our relationship is good. And our relationship is the basis on which I ask you for these things. Church, listen, sometimes we pray out of obligation, don't we? 
We pray out of compulsion. We pray because we know it's a good thing to do, right? It's a good thing to say prayers. We ought to say prayers. We should say prayers. And so we do say prayers. But real prayer is rooted in relationship, not obligation. Real prayer is rooted in relationship, not obligation. And when you sit with your spouse, if you're married, or with your parents, if you're a child, or with your nieces and nephews, or with your friends, or with your coworkers, whoever you have a relationship with, if you sit down with them and you say, now listen, as we get started with this conversation right here, I just want you to know I'm only doing this because I have to, right? I, I'm only doing this because I feel compelled to have a conversation with you. I don't really like having conversations with you. It's not very fun. You know, I don't, I don't like you as a person, but I know we should have conversations, so we're going to go ahead and have one. How well do you think that would go over, right? Not very well. What, what? God can see our heart. Real prayer is rooted in relationship, not obligation. That's not to say we're not obligated to pray to God. Just like to say, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not obligated to go home and have dinner with my family. I am obligated to do that, but I don't do it because I'm obligated. I do it because I have a relationship with them. Why do we pray? See, I'm afraid sometimes that we treat our prayer life like it's a business transaction. We, we treat our relationship with God, we treat our Christianity like it's a business transaction. Okay, I do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then you do this, 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 this for me, right? I go down the checklist, I do everything I'm supposed to do, I get baptized, I say my prayers, I go to church, and then things will work well for me, right? Oh, something went bad, I guess I better pray, uh, check that one off the list, now what? That's not how any relationship works, is it? Our prayer life isn't based on obligation and it's not a business transaction. It is a relationship. If you pray relationally, it will strengthen your relationship with God. If we suffer relationally, if we pray relationally as we suffer, then suffering itself will bring a greater relationship with God. Isn't that what James says? He says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. That's kind of hard to do, isn't it? He says, because these trials, this testing of your faith produces endurance, and this is strengthening you and maturing you and making you better. It's strengthening your relationship with God. But only if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death relationally and not like we have some sort of a business arrangement with God. At least that seems to be the way the psalmist, the way David was praying. Look at verse 6. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. It pains me when I hear people preaching Bible in order to make people feel like if you become a Christian and you you give and you pray and you have a relationship with God, then all your pain goes away. And you'll have all kinds of material goods. And you won't be sick anymore. When has that ever been the case? 
Having faith doesn't mean you won't have grief, and it doesn't mean that you won't have pain, but it does mean that you get to walk with God through those things. The resurrection is on the other side of the cross. You hear what I'm saying? The resurrection and glorification, the empty tomb is on the other side of the cross. David says, I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with grief. My eye wastes away because of my grief. If you're not there, if you've not been there, you will probably be there at some point. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean God has abandoned you. That doesn't mean He doesn't hear you. It doesn't mean He doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that you don't believe enough. It doesn't mean that you're not praying enough. In fact, in these moments, it ought to draw us closer to God. But our foes, our enemies, our voices in our head that says, Oh, I guess God doesn't love you. I guess God isn't listening to you. Like Job's wife says, what are you holding on to your integrity for? Curse God and die. Just give up. Why do you hold out? Why do you trust Him? Why do you still have confidence in Him? But yet Job held on. Church, I want to encourage you, hold on. Hold on now. Hold on tomorrow. Hold on the next day. And even if you're saying, but my couch is drenched in tears. How long, oh Lord? Hold on. Hold on. Because the empty tomb is on the other side of the cross. And isn't that what we know? In fact, right here in this verse, it's amazing. Verse 8, everything switches gears, doesn't it? I mean, suddenly there's a shift in the psalm. And now instead of addressing God, now he's addressing his enemies. Look at verse 8. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Wait, 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 well, hold on. You were talking to God just a second ago. You were telling God how bad it hurts and how bad you're suffering. And now all of a sudden you're talking to them out there. Depart from me, all you workers of Evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. What happened? What happened right there between verse 7 and verse 8? And everything changes. And now he's confident. Now he was saying, my, my couch is drenched in tears. I've been, I've been crying so hard. I can't see anything. My eyes are weak because of all my crying and weeping. And now all of a sudden, God's heard me. God has answered me. He, he's heard my weeping. He's heard my plea. He accepts my prayer. I don't know. I don't know what happened between verse seven and eight. I don't know what caused him to go from that to this, but I know what can cause you and I to go from verse 7 to verse 8. I know what comes between those verses in our life, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's 
That's what convinces us that no matter how long I suffer, and no matter what I suffer with, and no matter how much I need, and how much I'm in want, and what I'm going through, I know, and I'm convinced, and I am confident that the Lord accepts my prayer because of Jesus. Listen to the words of John. Jesus' apostle the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one he entrusted his mother to, the one who was standing at the foot of the cross, and after the ascension, the resurrection, was confident of who Jesus is and what Jesus can do for people. And he writes a letter to the church and he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Church, John wanted the church in the first century to know that and I want us to know that. I say these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not because you're good enough. Not because you've done enough. Not because your prayers are perfect and pristine. But because you have put your faith in the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. This is our confidence. Because of the death of the Son of God and His resurrection and His empty tomb, because we know that we are His children because of His blood. We have confidence that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know, we know, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. And you say, yeah, Wes, I hear you and I hear what the Bible's saying that pray to God and He'll heal you and He'll help you. And, and there's certainly been times in my life where that's happened, where I was scared and I was hurting and I prayed and God answered me. But, but don't people still get sick and die? And aren't there sicknesses and illnesses that end in death? I mean, what then? Did God not answer me? Well, someday aren't you going to be diagnosed with something and it's going to be fatal? Or aren't you going to get out here on the road and die in a car wreck? Might that happen? Yes. It will. I'll die. But this is the confidence that I have that because of the empty tomb, I know that God hears my prayers. My greatest fear is not cancer. My greatest fear is not a car accident. My greatest fear isn't even losing my family. My greatest fear is not being heard and accepted by God. And because of Jesus, that fear has been answered. That I know that when Jesus returns, He's going to raise me from the dead with a brand new body that will never die. And He's going to do the same for my family. And we're going to live with God forever. And every prayer, every want, every desire, even the desires that I didn't even know my heart had, He's going to answer forever and ever and ever. I will be lavished with His love 
this is the confidence that we have in Christ Jesus. And even in this life, there are things, and we know, and we've experienced this, haven't we? That we've gone through things that were so troubling and scary, and we've prayed, and God has answered our prayers. Listen, I don't know. I don't know how long it'll last. I don't know how bad it'll hurt. I don't know how it will end. But this I know. If you don't ask, if you don't ask, you forfeit the joy of being answered. If you don't ask, if you don't spend time depending on God in prayer, not just for the big things, but for the everyday things. This is how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, ask God for your daily bread. Not for your retirement bread. God, I'm scared. When I retire, am I going to have enough bread? No. Today. Now. Because this bread that you eat today and this water that you drink today and this air that you breathe today, you're not guaranteed any of that. That's a gift from God. Pray about that. Depend on God for that. And look at how He blesses you. But if you don't ask and you have bread, you you forfeited the joy of having been answered. But if you say, God, would you give me my daily bread? And then you have daily bread. You have joy because you say, congratulations, God, you fed your servant for another day. And if you go through something bad and you don't ask and you come through it all right, you think, wow, those doctors are fantastic. Wow, I'm just the luckiest guy alive. But you go through that horrible thing and you depend on God through it and you come out on the other side, you say, congratulations, God, you saved me, you healed me. Your relationship is stronger than it ever could be. And when I'm on my deathbed and I'm begging God about what comes next, I know because of the empty tomb that I will be loved and cherished by God forever. And I can't lose because of what Jesus has done for me. And if you're in Christ Jesus, and you depend on God in prayer, you can't lose. But if you fail to ask, then you forfeit the joy of having been answered. But if we ask and we depend on Him, and He answers us and He lavishes blessings on us, we can thank Him and congratulate Him for taking care of us so that we can live to do His will. But maybe there's somebody here this morning that's been putting off their decision to become a Christian because you don't know. You don't know what's going to come next and you don't know what will happen tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. Join the club. None of us do. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't know why everything happens the way that it happens. God didn't tell us. But He did tell us this, that if you're in Christ Jesus and you walk in the light as He is in the light, you don't have to fear. There is no condemnation. All your sins are washed away and He will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. What are you waiting for? Don't walk through this life alone. Walk through it with the Lord. Walk through it with us. Not because we've got all the answers, but because we'll love you. We'll be with you and we'll pray with you. Everybody needs somebody praying for them and we'll pray with you. We'll encourage you. Let's be in this together with the confidence that God loves us and God hears us and that God will raise us from the dead.
If we can help you put Christ on in baptism, we can pray with you. There's a room in the back. After services, our elders, our shepherds would love to meet with you and pray with you. You can come forward. We are in this together. We want to help you any way we can. Come forward as we stand and sing.